Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And today is a momentous day. Online sports betting has gone live in Wyoming. Right. Uh, DraftKings and BetMGM both got licensed and quickly launched, and just like that, the 50th ranked state in terms of population can take bets. Uh, let's celebrate the occasion with an over-under, John. Uh, now, the population of Wyoming is about 580,000. Over-under, 0.5 Gambalon listeners in Wyoming. And, and this is important because your answer will determine whether we can afford to poke fun at how tiny and insignificant Wyoming is. <laughs> well, uh, I visited and loved, actually, Colorado, Idaho, let's see, Utah, Washington, Oregon, Arizona. Uh, obviously, everyone has visited California and Nevada. Uh, but Wyoming is still on my bucket list. I, I know I would love it, though. As your informal wager, I would have gone under for sure as of a month ago, under 0.5 gamble on listeners. But right. we've been writing about that state on our usbets.com and or sportshandle.com sites for a while. So I'd lower my stake because we may have just added one in the past couple of weeks who read one of those uh, stories and started following one of us, then tried the podcast. So that's <laughs> uh, going to be a title. I'll go low stakes under 0. 0.5. Oh, but you're if you're st- on, welcome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you're sticking with the under. Funny, I, I had pretty yeah. much the same uh, the same thought pattern, mm-hmm. but uh, it, that I would have definitely said under prior to Wyoming <laughs> launching. But now that it's live, I'm I'm ready to take the over. I think there's someone out there who has turned to us for sports betting information. Um, I, I'll throw in a few fun facts about sports betting in Wyoming. Uh, it becomes the second state to welcome mobile betting with no land-based partnerships. Uh, Tennessee was the first, of course. Uh, sports books in Wyoming are allowed to accept certain forms of cryptocurrency payments, which I know is a big deal for you, John, since you mostly deal in crypto. Um, <laughs> And lastly, you can bet on professional cornhole in Wyoming. So, uh, you know, look, do I, do I have plans to move to Wyoming? No, but it's a less unattractive proposition now than it was two days ago. So there's that. Oh, I, yeah, I, I love the West. I really do. It, it, it's so wide open. Coming from the, the uh, most densely populated state of the country, New Jersey, uh-huh. it's nice to go out there and say, you know what? There's plenty of room out here. You can just live here. You can you can buy acres and acres of land for like nothing. And uh, no, it's beautiful out there. And uh, welcome you, Wyoming, in whatever you are, if you're there. <laughs> You were so close to uh, only showering them with positivity, and then you uh, glazed over what to call them, Wyomingans, you know, I don't know. It may, it may have been just slightly insulting at the end there, John, whether you meant to or not. Uh, not unintended, because I really okay. have never heard that one. What do they call people in Wyoming? I don't know. All right. Well, we ask our over 0.5 Wyoming listeners to please let us know uh, what, what is a person from Wyoming called. Drop us a line on Twitter or something and let us know. 
And uh, thank you to everyone, whether you're from a big state or a teeny weeny state that has no business having two senators, uh, for joining us for episode number 158 of Gamble On. There, see, you now I, I did my own insulting. Uh, if you missed any of our previous 157 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please subscribe, rate, and review unless you're from a small state that we've insulted over the years or even today and you're feeling aggrieved, in which case maybe don't bother rating or reviewing. Yeah, that's a fine uh, idea, Eric, there. <laughs> uh, coming up a little later on the show, I'm going to be joined by longtime NFL quarterback Ron Jaworski, who will offer his predictions and wagering-related insights on the football season ahead. Also talking about live casino in Philadelphia, which puts in-person sports betting just a stone's throw from where Jaws used to throw the football for the Eagles. Uh, but first, it's been a surprisingly busy week, actually, in the world of gambling ahead of Labor Day. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We opened the show joking about Wyoming, but it's the biggest states that keep driving the sports betting legalization news cycle this year. Uh, New York has been a massive story all year. Florida has been a point of focus since the spring. And lately, it's been California making all sorts of noise, and California continued to do so this week. On Tuesday, Politico broke the story of what will be potentially the third sports betting referendum on the 2022 ballot, and there are heavy hitters behind this one. DraftKings, FanDuel, and BetMGM are banding together to push this referendum for a fairly open online marketplace in which online operators would have to pair with a California tribe. That basically means there would be no cap on operators since there are more than 100 federally recognized tribes in California. Other details, a very high $100 million initial fee, good for five years, and a 10% tax rate. The measure will need almost a million signatures to get on the ballot. And then there's this detail. It's called the California Solutions to Homelessness and Mental Health Support Act, a reference to where proceeds from sports betting could theoretically go. But wow, that is some disingenuous titling for a sports betting bill. Uh, John, is that detail more or less offensive to you than the ads with school kids in them promoting the Florida initiative? And more importantly, with these power brokers behind this, is this the referendum to watch? And should Californians be more optimistic than ever that they're getting sports betting in the next two years or so? Well, yeah, this is a page out of the bipartisan congressional Orwellian playbook for naming bills. And I would <laughs> want to shortchange either side by omitting one of their most disingenuous bill titles. But yeah, I think it's pretty offensive. Uh, now, homelessness is better than the phrase the homeless, which really offends me, as does the troops, by the way. Um, there are real people who are homeless and real people who are troops. You know, let's uh, the homeless, the troops. No, thanks. Uh, and of course, in this case, there's a serious major overlap with mental illness, obviously. And mm -hmm. we got to seek better ways provide assistance but yeah so yeah this title is worse than the florida commercial pimping out kids i, I think but okay um i'm just a little surprised that the powerful big puppy and big kitten lobby struck out here i mean heads are going to roll on those lobbying sides i assume uh, but i digress um yes more than ever now we know californians will have legal sports betting in 2023 uh, a million signatures for this one or any of them in california it's a local tradition no problem uh, I want to say props on the eye-catching $100 million initiation, then only a 10% tax forever. Stellar long-term play and weeds out even the peskiest of the mid-size upstarts. 
and uh, my this one of course recognizes the power of California tribes, and that's necessarily so. Uh, horse racing and card rooms, um, do they have their own referendum on the way in, in California? I wonder where they're the center of the action, and they maybe do or don't throw in everybody else. So a possible fourth referendum is coming. Then. I think the more the merrier. I think okay. that'd be great. Um, in terms of the name of the act, um, obviously I hate it. It's a, it is offensive. Um, but I guess I'll throw a little respect to the, the idea that, uh, you know, BSing people works a, a catchy slogan can go a longer way in the voting booth than actual policy. So, uh, while it is clearly a ridiculous thing to call a sports betting bill, a small measure of respect for the slimy political strategy behind it uh, in terms of just helping to get things done. Uh, the whole thing seems very well thought out uh, and, and and smart strategically. Partner with the tribes, that's a must in California. Um, plus tribes that decide to do mobile betting on their own without a big name mobile partner can get licensed at a fraction of the cost. I guess that's a bit of a, a nod to the tribes that they might like. Uh, meanwhile, this is a digital only proposal, so it doesn't necessarily conflict with the referendum the tribes organize for retail only betting. Um, with all the juice and money behind this, I, I see that it's not just DraftKings, FanDuel, and MGM, but also Bally's, Fanatics, Penn National, and Win. Are, are apparently involved to some degree. It sure seems like this is a strong contender to get across the finish line. You, you said flat out California will have sports betting in 2023. I guess maybe I'll stop short of uh, saying it with 100% confidence, but this is pretty close to 100%. I'm no expert on how the politics of California and all this sort of stuff works, but I have yet to see any of the folks who are experts point out any red flags here. So uh while, while I will, uh, I guess I'll say that I'm not quite as certain as you, but I am still extremely optimistic. Yeah, I mean, we're about 15 years in now, and I noticed this uh, about that long ago in polling, and people hate it, people love it, people whatever, it is what it is. You know, anybody under now, I'd say 40, 45, if they get a referendum that says, do you want to let people do X? Yes. The anybody under 45 now says, yes, allow that. I mean, it's got to be adults and consenting. And other than that, absolutely. There's nothing that they don't want to allow. Kind of libertarian. It's not liberal. It's not conservative. It's just a, a thing where they just feel like and again, most people don't gamble. So uh, a lot of people, especially in California, frankly, aren't even sports fans. But this idea that you can't do something because government, whatever, they don't like that. They think people should be able to do whatever the thing is. They don't even understand that there's already a huge uh, illegal uh, amount of gambling there. So what's the difference if you legalize that there's consumer protection? Blah, blah. They don't care about any of that. The idea is that, oh, so somebody wants to do something. Yeah, let's let them do it. So it's kind of all I think all of these may pass, which will be get interesting, too. Then how do you how do you how do you handle that? Right. I mean, is it the one that gets the highest percentage? Do we have to go back to a, a runoff? I don't know. But uh, I, I will say that Californians will be gambling somehow, some way in 2023. Legally. And, and, and I'll say that uh, a sample size of two people over the age of 45, uh, one, <laughs> one only slightly, one a little by a little bit of uh, a wider margin, uh, also uh, would, uh, would support such referendums.
Yeah, I mean, and I've mentioned it. I'm going back 10 years. I moderated a panel in Atlantic City and I explained to people, listen, I'm not I'm not saying this is a good trend or a bad trend. It just it's a trend. And if if you think you want to try and stop it, A, it's not going to work. But B, you better work your ass off to try and stop it because it's not happening. And uh, it's only continued. It's one of the things that goes from millennials into the next generation, too, where you're seeing changes. Obviously, they're they're not agreeing on everything and which social media. Uh, sites they prefer and there's there are changes but this attitude of you know let's let people do what the hell they want and let the government get out of the way or or monitor it even better but don't prevent people from doing what they want legally uh that is an interesting uh sociological trend that has not i don't think flipped between the uh the different generations all right. Uh, moving on to a, a different subject here. Uh, we talked a few months ago about a planned Sports Illustrated branded sports book. And the two of us were in agreement that the SI name doesn't exactly have the cachet in 2021 that it once did. But what about an ESPN branded sports book? The sports and gambling communities were left to ponder that question this week when the Wall Street Journal reported that ESPN has held discussions with major sports book operators on a multi-year deal to license its brand for sports betting. Of course, we and others have speculated on this possibility for years, long before there was public knowledge of ESPN pursuing it. We've said an ESPN sports book seemed inevitable with the way things have been heading. Anyway, ESPN has reportedly discussed with both DraftKings and Caesars possibly licensing out their name for a modest price of $3 billion. Uh, I recommend reading Matt Rybaltowski's article on this on Sports Handle. He really covered a lot of angles in terms of the financial implications and just what it means for the industry with Disney theoretically embracing sports gambling. Some view this as a sign of the apocalypse. We see you, Tony Dungy. Uh, while many view this as a logical next step for a regulated industry, it's worth noting, because we all tend to assume ESPN will take over the sports betting world, that the Fox network name has not pushed Foxbet to number one or even number two or three or four. Uh, John, is that mediocrity thus far from the Fox brand in any way relevant to the ESPN brand? And any guess whether ESPN ends up with Caesars or DraftKings and any other thoughts on this very mainstream story? Yeah, I mean, unlike the SI brand, I don't think ESPN lovers all have AARP cards and arthritis, really. Um, <laughs> they get a fine name to exploit, and sometimes you overpay just to keep the name out of the hands of the other guy. I mean, I covered a New Jersey real estate mega deal 20 years ago. And it took me too long to figure this out. Wait, they're never going to build all that office space. So what are they doing with that? Uh, turns out to be an option. Yeah, they protected their flank of lucrative properties at the time. And even if the wind shifted a little bit west for whatever reason, they already had annexed the next big location of an alternative. So they they covered their bases. And that's kind of what's going to happen with whoever buys in here. And uh, already fans are adjusting to the new reality of ubiquitous gambling advertising. And millions of middle-aged sports fans who find resistance futile and they will. They're going to sign up with the promo code of their favorite ESPN personality, just as they have been doing in the New York, New Jersey sports radio market for the past three years now. It's annoying and it's infuriating sometimes, but it is what it is. And uh, it's going to happen. And uh, I mean, it's going to be an expensive price. But again, you're taking it away from your uh, adversary. So uh, you pay a little extra for that. 
Right. All right. So I, I brought up the Fox comparison. Uh, I may as well address that. Uh, I believe it's half relevant. Um, obviously, ESPN is miles ahead in terms of brand value in the sports world and uh, also in terms of ratings for any non-live sports programming. I mean, you know, just look at Skip Bayless's ratings numbers back at ESPN. And then when he left for Fox Sports, his audience was decimated. Um, that said, Fox Bet is relevant because the fact that it hasn't taken off suggests to me that sports bettors, whether serious or casual, like a brand that they associate with gambling, uh, DraftKings and FanDuel, MGM and Caesars. Most of the leaders in the space thus far are either casino brands or DFS brands. Now, I would think ESPN will be huge, but I just don't know that the ESPN name alone instantly shoots it up to number one. I, I would challenge anyone who's confident of that. That said, you combine ESPN with Caesars or DraftKings, that would be the smart way to go branding wise. You know, if it's ESPN Sportsbook by Caesars, something like that, then you're hitting the sweet spot, especially for a more casual better, someone just looking to dip a toe in for the first time. I think they'll find a sense of comfort in multiple mainstream sports and casino names. Yeah, I, I think that market is really underrated. The, you know, a lot of people in the sports uh, gambling community and uh, in the industry kind of forget how many diehard sports fans there are that have never placed a bet on a game mm -hmm. and are not automatically going to place a bet on a game, even after three years of all this constant bombardment in my market and your market and others. But ESPN kind of is a imprimatur, you know, wait a minute. Okay. ESPN's telling me. And as I said, I, I'm sure that the reason I keep getting hit with these stupid uh, radio endorsements, you know, uh, just to go by code Gary or Maggie or whatever, you know, <laughs> right. I think it's because it works. Uh -huh. And I think ESPN on a national level, you know, you've got that favorite guy and God help us all. Some people like Skip Bayless and, uh, <laughs> you know, just type in skip and get a free hundred dollar bet when you first sign up. I think there's a big, big market out there. It's kind of a one shot deal. I mean, uh, they're going to sign up in a year and then it's not going to be as big a deal, but you're going to get those people forever. They're not going to sign up for eight sports books or, or 20 you can have in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. And, you know, Colorado has a lot. Michigan has a few more than a few. I mean, it's just going to be, that's, that's the one I have. And like you said, whether it's Caesars, DraftKings, whatever, they're going to have them for life. They're, they're 35 years old. They're big sports fans. I never bet before they're casual. They're going to lose. Um, but they're not going to hopefully lose a shirt and they're not going to sign up for five other, you know, uh, rivals. So they can get a slightly better price. They're just going to throw down. Oh, I'm going to put 10 bucks down on this game. And you have millions of those people. I think it's a great market. Um, one thing that I'll uh, throw in uh, spinning it forward a bit is that this could be a key domino in further consolidation. Yeah. Everything comes back to your draft duel idea, John. Um, so, you know, let's say, <laughs> let's say there's an ESPN Caesars co-branded book in 20 States, a couple of years from now, that might be where DraftKings and FanDuel finally merge to compete. Uh, you know, I don't, that's a lot of ifs before we get to that point, but I do think ESPN putting its name on a sports book, will change the power dynamics and, and, and cause a lot of shakeup. Um, and by the way, I, I mentioned uh, Tony Dungy. Uh, I should probably quickly address that, you know, Tony and others, I get your concerns about how mainstream this is going, but you have to change with the times. Um, it's not like people weren't betting on these games before it got regulated and, and went mainstream in America. You don't have to like it. You don't have to participate in betting, certainly. 
But I think if you're in the sports media, you can't put your head in the sand and ignore the odds and the spreads. That's part of the job now is to keep an eye on that stuff. Uh, yes, although I, I don't mind a dissenting voice at all in terms of, again, for the average fan, they're all they're hearing is bombardment, how great things are. If they hear the occasional voice, uh, you know, might seem like a naysayer or a nervous Nelly or whatever, but uh, just just planting a seed of like, oh, wait, this isn't all perfect uh, or isn't automatically perfect. I, I don't mind that. And and I think we both said that, uh, what you know, Dungey might roll some eyes out there, but I think he's being sincere and there's something mm-hmm. to that. Okay. Uh, all right. So moving on to our third story, we contemplated making it the World Series of Poker's decision to require COVID vaccinations for all players this fall. But there's not a whole lot to say about the topic since we've discussed it already as a hypothetical. So we'll simply pass along that news in case you missed it, that some sort of proof, whether real or fake, of COVID vaccination will be mandatory at the WSOP. Instead, for our third story, let's talk once again about Arizona. The state began its sports betting pre-launch this past Saturday with approved sports books able to start taking signups and deposits. The day prior to that, the Arizona Department of Gaming announced which sports books were approved, issuing 10 licenses to tribes and eight to non-tribal entities, ultimately allowing in almost all of the major mobile books. But there's one notable sports book that isn't in, at least not yet, and that's PointsBet, which partnered with Cliff Castle Casino, which was told it would be licensed and then was told, oops, that was an administrative error and Cliff Castle isn't getting a license and therefore PointsBet is currently on the outside looking in. The Australian-based book, however, is expected to pursue a new tribal partner and still probably gain entry into Arizona. John, thoughts on that mess and on any other new developments in Arizona exactly one week before sports betting goes live there? Yeah, I mean, was it one or two weeks ago that I mentioned how I liked the really like the relentless advance of Arizona on legalizing sports betting while recognizing there could be potential glitches like, oh, this, you know, but if they get to October 1st, and this is the only real glitch, I count that as a win for them. And all is incredibly slow to move states. And that's like half of them at this point in the U.S. Uh, here's the aggressive one to look at. I think a lot of lawmakers in the second half of U.S. sports betting states, I'll call them, are going to be watching closely. And um, as I say, I, if this is the one off uh, for getting aggressive and, and getting things done, I, I call that a net win for sure. OK, um, I don't have much of substance to add here, so I will add something of very little substance. Uh, the same thing <laughs> I added to our Slack channel when Jill Dorson's story on this Cliff Castle situation published. And that's how relevant a classic Seinfeld scene is to this. Um, in fact, I'll just drop in audio of that scene right now on the podcast. And uh, I'll note if anyone finds it politically incorrect, well, the political incorrectness is the point. That's the joke. Uh, Jerry and Larry and their writers were always ahead of the curve. So enjoy this clip. Have a chuckle. Jerry, I really need it back. It is mine. Well, but you can't give something and take it back. I mean, what do you... Uh... <laughs> what? A, uh, a person that... Uh... A person that what? Well, a person that gives something and then they're dissatisfied and they wish they... Had... No, give given it to the person that they originally gave it to. You mean like an Indian giver? I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with that term. Just too appropriate for the situation, uh, not to include, uh, in my view. And I, I know that our friend Lloyd Danzig, Seinfeld fan supreme, uh, appreciated that. Um, 
I still can't believe a uh, Seinfeld fan that you are, John, that you poo poo curb your enthusiasm. But I, I guess it's mostly just an I never subscribe to HBO thing uh, above all else. Uh, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, I don't I don't poo poo anything. I just uh, <laughs> I don't pay extra for some channel that has some mostly programming that I'll never watch. <laughs> you don't poo poo. You just won't pay pay. That's what you're saying. There you go. OK. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Regular listeners will surely recall that we had Pete Rose on the Gamble On podcast several months ago, and it turns out we were not finished having the Philadelphia sports icons of my youth on the show. (laughs) We now welcome the first quarterback to lead the Eagles to the Super Bowl, the 1980 NFC Player of the Year, a longtime NFL TV analyst, and now a partner with and spokesperson for Live Casino and Hotel Philadelphia, Ron Jaworski. Jaws, welcome to Gamble On. Hey, Eric, great to be with you. And it's nice to hear you had my buddy Pete Rose on. Boy, I tell you, there's a character right there. I, I remember I remember the days at old Veterans Stadium hanging out in the Phillies locker room. And Pete would come over to our locker room and we had a blast. <laughs> if he was anything then like he was when he was on our podcast, that means uh, he did a whole lot of talking. There were the, he, he doesn't speak in short sound bites, Mr. Rose. <laughs> now, do we have time so I can tell you guys a Pete Rose story? Absolutely. All right. Since you prompted me to talk about Pete Rose, you know, we at, at Veterans Stadium, there was the Eagles locker room and there was the Phillies locker room. And in between were the showers, the bathrooms, the sauna, whirlpool, the kind of amenities that went along with pro sports teams. So one day I'm shaving after practice and I'm going to shave my beard. And in front of me is a mirror. And behind me are the stalls, the, the, the men's stalls. And all of a sudden I look in there through the mirror and I see this bat going up and down, up and down. What the hell? Who is that? What's going on? I'm shaving. So finally, after about three or four minutes, the door opens up and Pete Rose walks out. And I said, Pete, what the hell are you do with that bat? You know, in the bathroom, he goes, I'm hardening the wood. <laughs> so he, he was basically rubbing the bat against the, the, the stall or the urinal to huh. harden the wood in the bat. I said, you learn something new every day, guys. <laughs> wow. And there are so many inappropriate jokes that we could make about that <laughs> phrase that he used, but I think we should just leave it alone. I'm not going there. Right. Yeah. So I want to ask you, uh, Ron, about uh, this partnership with Live. Uh, c- can you tell us more about what you'll be doing as a spokesperson for the property? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't be happier to be dealing with, with the Live Casino in, in the Stadium District in, in Philadelphia. I've got obviously a long history with it as a player, you know, playing right across the street from what is now live casino, uh, a spectacular facility. We could probably go on and on all day talking about uh, the way the place was built, the rooms, uh, the banquet rooms, the casino itself, the restaurants, phenomenal. Uh, and I'm really thankful that they reached out to me if I would uh, serve as their spokesperson, because I know that area so well. Uh, I was a part owner of the Holiday Inn when it was there at one time. Hmm. Uh, we stayed there at, before our home games when I was an Eagle player. Uh, you could walk across the parking lot to the stadium. So there's a lot of history there. And, and I've known the Cordish, Reed Cordish, uh, and the family for a number of years. And uh, they're character quality people. They build an unbelievable product in everything that they do. And when they were looking for a spokesman, I, w- I was just thrilled that they asked me to serve in that capacity because you know, I like people. I like getting, you know, I like to be around people. I like talking sports. I like talking ball. Uh, and it just seemed to be a, a really good fit for me. 
And, you know, they've got a lot of wonderful things planned, not only just from a, a sports perspective, but they want to be very active in the community, a strong commitment to being involved, you know, building ball fields, playgrounds, helping other organizations in that community. And that's kind of, you know, what, what really intrigued me about it most, because, you know, I had my own foundation. Uh, we've raised over $6 million for at-risk kids in the community. Uh, we've built ball fields, playgrounds. You know, we've partnered with Michael Vick on up in Hunting Park. And by the way, Kyle Pitts is a kid that that program uh, fostered in, in when we built a field up there. So it was kind of a payback. You know, it was really cool when Kyle Pitts got drafted number four pick by the Atlanta Falcons. So live understands that to be it's great to be successful in business. But, you know, there's a responsibility to give back. And, and we're on the same page with that. So I couldn't be more thrilled with the partnership. Okay. And, and you mentioned that it's just uh, right across the parking lot from where you used to play. Is, is that strange at all that here we are now, several decades later, there's a casino and sports book right <laughs> in the same facility. Does that strike you as odd at all? Oh yes. It's, it's very strange. It, okay. it, it really is. You know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in, 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 in the bar, in the restaurant, uh, you know, when it was the holiday Inn and, and other, you know, and other ownership, uh, it was a place that, you know, uh, like I said, team would stay there the night before the game. Uh, it, it, it just, it, it just seems different now that it's a casino and a beautiful big casino. Yeah, it's different, but times do move on. Veteran stadium is gone. I still have pictures in my office of veteran stadium being imploded. It breaks my heart. You know, there's probably a piece of my body. were in that implosion, uh, you know, that I left on that field, but uh, time moves on. And I, I, quite honestly, I'm happy that, that it does. Yeah, Ron, you know, I started covering pro sports really back about 30 years ago. And, you know, the first thing you learn after a few years with the NBA, NHL, could be NFL, MLB, is that two things that fans don't understand at all. One is that not every player lives and dies with a win and loss in every game. Obviously, they want to win. But, you know, if they have a great game and it's going to give them a better contract next year or they don't hardly play and a team wins, like winning a Super Bowl, everybody will take that. But, you know, if it's a mediocre team, they're they're a little bit interested in how they're doing personally and, and understandably so. But the other one is that uh, fans who, and this is before PASPA and the legalization of gambling outside of Nevada, you know, fans are often were betting on the games and they, they seem to think that the players that paid any attention to, you know, the gambling whatsoever. And I don't just mean, obviously they can't gamble themselves. Nobody's dumb enough to do that hardly, but uh, you know, they're, they're not going to even know about it is what I found. So I talked to Monty Toomer for X giant a couple of years yep. ago, and he mentioned to me something that I suspected. That's why I asked him about it. You know, how much did you guys ever hear about point spreads or this or that, you know, during the course of your career? And he said, when he entered the university of Michigan, they gave them all the, warnings about not giving out information about teammates injuries and all that he said after that his whole career basically never came up and when he retired he went into radio broadcasting he said they pretty much had to teach me what a point spread is and it's hard for people to understand on the other hand we're a little bit in the same era so when you're coming into the nfl i'm watching the nfl on tv we've got jimmy the greek you know i've told talked before about my neighborhood just outside of new york city i mean we had a pool in the neighborhood the parents and the kids we're all involved in the same pool, picking games against the point spread. And Jimmy the Greek is, you know, helping us out there. So you know, based on that, I'm wondering if, you know, playing in the 70s and into the 80s, uh, was there at least uh, awareness in, in NFL locker rooms about point spreads? Again, you got to stay away from it. But because the modern players after, frankly, the P. Rose situation, uh, they they didn't never even heard about it. Uh, Amani Tumor must have been living under a rock. There's no way he was not aware <laughs> point spreads and people gambling. Now, you know, I came in the league in 1973. So I know I was a, a generation before, before tumor, but you know, I can remember practicing, you know, in Philadelphia and 
people would yell in cars as they drove by. We were in JFK Stadium, or we used to, by that little restaurant, they used to be that, boy, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the restaurant right now, Amari Tavern or something, uh, but we could smell the Italian cooking come out of the kitchen. And there was row homes along the side of the practice field. And when we won games, people would yell, hey, great job. And you covered, you know, that <laughs> you would hear that from the people. So I, I can't imagine as a player not being aware of that. And especially where we practice and beating South Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure where Amani lived up in New York, but everyone was aware of the, the, the point spreads and games were being bet. Now we had clear regulations. I mean, uh, the league would come in with FBI officers who would have one meeting before the season started and they, they could make it, they made it crystal clear. Don't bet. Don't talk about injuries. They, they gave us the rules. We, so everyone had to know what was going on. And we weren't even allowed in a casino as a player. Mm-hmm. Couldn't even go in a casino. So you could see where we've really morphed into a whole generation of people getting, you know, betting on games, understanding point spreads, live betting, in-game betting. Uh, hey, and it kind of makes it more interesting. Yeah, so do you think that today's players are sort of similarly level aware of of what uh, your day's players were or maybe more aware because now it's legal in so many states? Or- I, I, how, can, how can they not be? Every other commercial on television is, yeah, is, is a commercial, you know, for gaming, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, unless you're, uh, you know, living under a rock, you, you're, you're aware of it. So it's ironic that the reason that the PASPA bill passed in 1992 in Congress. Yeah. Senator Bill Bradley was a sponsor. And of course, he was a great uh, Knicks player. And his anecdote, he told me once, is that, you know, the Knicks had just won a game at Madison Square Garden and he was happy and he's got fans in the front row are looking all annoyed. And he said to them, well, what's the deal? We won the game. You should be happy. And they told him, you know, uh, yeah, you won, but you didn't cover. And of course, Senator Bill is a rather genteel, a Princeton man. And he didn't like, he said he'd being treated like a roulette ship. So, or a poker ship or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, so suddenly we've got a law that bans sports betting around the country for 26 years, although it didn't particularly stop sports betting, but it did make it illegal. <laughs> well, I, I actually had a, a story similar to that. Now, in, in my playing days, we didn't have, uh, you know, email and all the, uh, uh, the, the things that we can do now electronically. You know, you can go on, say anything you want on, on the Internet, but people would actually send you a letter. You know, you'd get mail. We had a mailbox <laughs> in our locker room, at, at, you know, at, at Veterans Stadium. And I remember one week, I you know you get five or six letters a day. It wouldn't be the volume you'd get on, you know, unless you're maybe Tom Brady. <laughs> but but I'd get every once in a while, I would open them. Normally, I would give them to my assistant, and you know, uh, she would take care of it, sign an autograph, blah blah blah. But I remember opening one, and it started, "Dear Ron, you bleep 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 bleep." I go, "Wow, wow, we won this week." You know, no, you don't get it. You know, after a win. And I think, wow, and it went on for about a half a page and it said, hmm, you didn't cover the spread. <laughs> you know, that, there you go. So, you know, hey, that's what we lived with in the day. So uh, we want to get your thoughts on the NFL season ahead and some of the betting odds. And uh, I'll start with a question about your old team, the Eagles and their division, the now lightly regarded NFC East. Um, first off, before we get into the betting odds, just as a quarterback, what are your thoughts on Jalen Hurts? How optimistic are you that he is the Eagles quarterback of the future? Yeah, I, I like Jalen Hurts. I like everything about his game. Um, I liked him in Alabama. I liked him in Oklahoma. I, I talked to coaches that were on the staffs with, with him. Um, no negatives, no negatives. Um, th- th- now, if you want to, if you want a projection and that's what we do now in this business, you project them. 
I'm not convinced he's going to be a great quarterback. He did some really good things last year. The first couple of games he played, once he got on tape and teams knew his weaknesses and his strengths, they made him play to his weaknesses, and he regressed the last couple of games. Now it's a new coaching staff. It's a new era in Philadelphia. It's Nick Sirianni. Uh, it's, it, you know, it, he's got new receivers. The team has to come together quickly. And, and that, that bothers me because the schedule, the first half of the season is a lot tougher than the second half of the season. Of course, it's the NFL. Every game is tough. But I think the pressure is going to be on early for him to perform well. And, you know, I would like to say, yeah, he's going to be great. I don't feel confident in saying that. I'm not going to say he's not going to be a, you know, the starter, not be a long-term quarterback, but I just have not seen enough that would tell me, oh, yeah, he's the guy and he's going to be here for seven years. You know, and we saw it with Carson Wentz. We thought he was going to be here for a decade, mm-hmm. you know, an injury, coaching change, blah, blah, blah. He's out of here. So it, it's hard to make these predictions, but, uh, but I like the talent of Jalen Hurts. I like his personality. Now the question is, can he do it on a repetitive, consistent basis? Right. Okay. And so, so looking at the division as a whole, here, here are the odds at the, the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino on each of the four teams to win the division. Cowboys plus 130, Washington plus 260, Giants plus 400, and our Eagles uh, up in fourth place at plus 450. If you had to put a few bucks on one of those teams, which one do you like for those prices? Washington Redskins. You know, people forget that they, they won a division last year. Um, I, I called that game for Westwood one, the playoff game against Tampa Buccaneers where Taylor Heineke came in and just had a phenomenal game and no one knew who the hell the kid was. Mm-hmm. They should have beaten the world champions that first wild card playoff game. Obviously Tampa goes on to win the world championship, but Ron Rivera is an outstanding football coach. I played against Ron. I got to know Ron a lot better when he was coaching here in Philadelphia and running the Eagles defense. He knows how to win. He knows how to relate players and he built that team with defense now people are going to scoff at ryan fitzpatrick fitzmagic whatever you want to call him but he knows how to play the position the red washington washington football team right. hasn't really had a consistent quarterback now you can say yeah, alex smith last year you know when he was healthy he was fine but ryan fitzpatrick will not lose games for the washington football team their defense will keep them in every game so here's a team that's the defending division champion they got better in the offseason Maybe they got better through attrition, you know, getting rid of a Haskins last year and guys like that, that really made no contribution to the team. So I'm going to say the Washington football team is the team that I like to win the division. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. I think they're the best uh, price in, in the division. I'm almost surprised they're longer odds than Dallas. And uh, yeah. as you just uh, showed, it, it can be tough to break old habits when you've been calling the team one thing for, <laughs> for so many decades. But we, we got to work our way out of that. <laughs> yeah, when I, whenever I when I called that playoff game, man, I just had to bite my tongue. I, oh, football team. Oh, football team. <laughs> I wish they'd get a darn nickname so we could forget about it. You know? Right. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah, team team is not too exciting. No. But, uh, yeah. Uh, I want to ask about young quarterbacks, though. Uh, you know, uh, going way back again, obviously a lot of the college teams did not play pro-style offenses, so it, it was a tough to project how are they going to translate into the NFL. And it was understandable there were some busts early in early picks. But, you know, it, it seems to me it should be getting easier. But when you look back at a draft five, six years later, 
the quarterbacks don't tend to stack up that well in terms of the, the best guy was picked uh, first, maybe the second best guy was the third one and the third best guy was the second one, that sort of thing. And so uh, it has, it's still just as difficult to project. And then I'm curious about, um, you know, love and Daniel Jones and uh, Trevor Lawrence and some of the other young guys, either first, second or third year players, Sam Darnold one. Um, do you have any strong feelings about any of them is an absolute lock to, you know, to reach the superstar level. And are there any, you really have a lot of doubts about the, the, in spite of their high status. Uh, uh, John, there is no absolute lock. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I've been making a living breaking down quarterbacks since I retired in 1990. You know, my work at ESPN, NFL Films, uh, you know, all my tape study. I mean, and I, you know, my office at NFL Films, I got everything. You know, I, I got all the tape you could possibly want to look at, you know, college players, anything, sideline, end zone, game tape. I can look at it all. And, I, and I, I took great pride in doing projections on quarterbacks. And I was probably as good as, the guys making two to three million dollars a year that have to draft a quarterback for an NFL team. Mm-hmm. It is a crapshoot. And there's just certain things uh, that you can't predict how players deal with adversity, mm-hmm. how they deal with money, the mm-hmm. organization, the team they're with. Uh, you know, and you mentioned a guy like Sam Darnold, who I, who I project very well, by the way. I love Sam coming out of USC. I think in, in, in the system down in Carolina, he will fit into what Matt Rule wants him to do. And you look when he goes to the Jets. They take him early. He's their guy. What do the Jets do? They go and draft defensive for the next two drafts. They give the young kid zero help. No wide receivers, no running backs, no offensive line. How do you expect this? You, you, when you draft a young quarterback, you got to protect him, number one, and don't put him in a position to fail. And that's exactly what the Jets did. And other teams continue to do that. If you're going to take a quarterback early, you better surround him so he has a chance. Because some guys – you know, they get beat up early. They are never, ever the same, ever the same. And in, in the NFL, it's that old theory reduction. You just keep beating on a guy and beating on a guy until he doesn't want to get up anymore. And that happens to a lot of guys that, that come from the college game and have very little success in the NFL. And I think of a guy, Patrick Ramsey, a guy that I loved, mm-hmm. uh, drafted by Washington. He got beat up in that first year. And here's a guy that I loved. I mean, he, he couldn't stand straight in the pocket. I mean, his feet were so those pitter. He he could not plan his foot because he got beat up, not only physically but mentally, and he was done. And he was a guy that I projected very high, but you don't know what's going to happen, you know, in mentally. You don't know what's going to happen to the team you're with. So it's it's a crapshoot. Yeah, have the Jets gotten any smarter? Is this Darnold 2.0, and we're going to see the same process all over again with Wilson? Or I like Wilson again. But you see what they did? They went and gave mm-hmm. some help. You know, they okay. drafted linemen. They didn't say, okay, we're going to draft Wilson and let's go over the defense. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but, but the kids got a lot of talent and had a really solid preseason. Now, I'm not up in New York every day to see his practice, but the people I know up there said he's been really, really sharp. All right. Uh, well, this has been a real pleasure, Jaws. Uh, thanks so much for, for coming on Gamble On. Uh, best of luck with the partnership with Live Casino. And uh, of course, go Birds. Yeah, you know, I'll be over at Live Casino. So when I'm down there, hey, come on, people, stop in. We'll we'll talk some ball. I'd love to do it. You're, you're, hey, don't feel don't be afraid to ever come up and say, hey, let's go. Let's let's what do you want to what do you want to know? I got an answer. All right. Well, we now have firsthand experience to confirm that it is fun talking some ball. <laughs> Thank you guys. Two men. Two men. Ten thousand dollars. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll. I got a little cocky, John. I got cocky. 
started thinking I couldn't lose after a few hot weeks, and I got lazy on one of my bets, and I had a lousy week. Thankfully, you had a good week, sparing us collective disaster. The bet I got lazy on was the Chiefs-Vikings under. Uh, Had I taken the time to read some articles and do a little research, I could easily have found out that Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey were going to play a couple of series and that the under wasn't such a smart bet. And uh, maybe that's why the over had moved to significant minus money, but I didn't do the research. The game went comfortably over and we lost $100. Um, I also lost my two boxing bets. I had Amanda Serrano by KO for $75 and by KO in round seven or eight specifically for $15. And she won an easy decision instead. So that was a loss of $90. Fortunately, your money line bet on the Dodgers over the Padres was a win. We profited $74 on that. No futures results to report, although... A T.Y. Hilton injury is a positive for our season-long under bet. Uh, We wish him well, of course, but remember, folks, there's always some value in season-long player prop unders. Anyway, we lost $116 last week, so we're now down by $810 overall. We also have $1,437 on hold in futures bets, so that leaves $7,753 available to bet with this week, and you're up first, John. Yeah, I've got to let my baseball hot streak ride uh, for sure again this mm-hmm. week. Um, Logan Webb of the Giants is one of the best pitchers in baseball of late, and nobody believes that, but that's uh, good because I, I can get the Giants giving one and a half runs at plus 115 against the Brewers on Thursday. And Webb, and I love the Giants' bullpen. Uh, they won't let me down. They're not going to be up uh, 5-1 in the ninth and give up four runs and, and get me beat. And now that I've said it won't happen, it won't happen. <laughs> I was looking at that game actually myself because I believe have they lost all three so far this series to the Brewers? I I think that might be the case. And it just feels like there's no way a team as good as the Giants is getting swept. They got to win this one, right? Yeah, they're they're now out of first place, in fact. And, uh, you know, a lesser team would be panicking Cinderella story. And now it's barely September and it's all over and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they've got a bunch of guys who have three rings on their fingers. that kind of tell them, gee, I think we can actually handle, handle a little pressure. All right. Um, So, yeah, I like that bet Um, for my first bet. uh, I'll note this is our second to last uh, chance to make NFL season long futures bets. Uh, And let me run down what we currently have. Uh, We have 10 bucks on the team uh, to win the NFC at 35 to one, a bet I made way back when the 2021 odds first came out. Uh, Your $50 bet on Zach Wilson for offensive rookie of the year. You made that right before he was drafted. We have that. We have my aforementioned T.Y. Hilton receptions under bet. We have my bet on the Jags under six and a half wins. And lastly, my bet on Trevor Lawrence over three and a half rushing touchdowns, a rare player prop over that I believe has value. Uh, Today, I add another team win total bet. I like the Denver Broncos over eight and a half wins, Uh, not because I believe the Broncos will be good. They are quite league average in my view, but rather because they have the softest schedule in the whole NFL. They have a very good chance to start 3-0 and as they get the Giants in week one, who are coming into the season with a lot of injury issues. Week one is the right time to play them. Then the Jags, then the Jets. Uh, they played the whole NFC East. They also have the Bengals and Lions on their schedule. Certainly some tough games also. You know, they have two against the Chiefs. They play Baltimore. They play Cleveland. This isn't a slam dunk, but... I think there's a bit of value here. I looked at their schedule and I see them going nine and eight. Uh, I looked at the number crunchers uh, and see that they're putting them at a win expectation of 8.8 wins. 
And I just believe in Teddy Bridgewater as the kind of quarterback who keeps you in games and usually sees you to victory in the games you're supposed to win. If Drew Locke were the starter, I'd probably stay away. But with Teddy, I like the over. Um, so the question is how much to bet. It's a season-long bet. I like slightly bigger bets to make the season-long sweat worthwhile. So let's go $220 to win $200. Um, and, and uh, you know, I know that that number uh, probably makes you a tiny bit uncomfortable, John. But in real life, I usually make my season-long bets at least three times my individual game bets. Um, so I'm in a way, I'm keeping it small just to uh, prevent you from extreme discomfort. All right. Uh, well, I've got a couple of months to panic, so uh, I'm not going to bother doing it yet. Um, give me 110 to win 100 in Ohio State, minus 14 and a half at Minnesota in their Big Ten opener on Saturday. I think it's Saturday. Well, this weekend anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ohio State, they're not going to be up 14 late and thinking, gee, we got to score a touchdown to cover the point spread. I don't think, but they will be thinking, gee, we got to win by a big enough amount that in case we have a bad loss or two late uh, that we still get into the playoff because the, the playoff powers that be want them in there anyway. So uh, just make sure that uh, you've got an early season in case Minnesota is any good. And then beating them by 21 in early September will look even better. So I, I think they want to win by more than 14 again, not for the point spread, but just to impress the committee. So that's why I'm giving that. Okay. Well, if they happen to score a touchdown to go up 13 late in the game and go for the two point conversion, then we'll know that they really were paying attention to the point spread. Yeah, that will make me wonder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, for my second bet, I'm going to venture into unfamiliar territory with a women's tennis bet. I turn to my brother, Dave, uh, or David, as he is now known to anyone not grandfathered in to calling him Dave, uh, who follows tennis reasonably closely and has been doing well betting on the U.S. Open thus far. So I asked him for a bet he likes, and he told me he's feeling good about Spaniard Garbine Muguruza, winner of the 2016 French Open and 2017 Wimbledon. She's the ninth seed at Flushing Meadows this year. She's won in straight sets in each of her first two matches and meets Victoria Azarenka in the third round on Friday, and DraftKings has Muguruza at even money to win that match. Uh, these two are two and two against each other lifetime, but Muguruza won the last time they met on hard courts in 2019, as well as the last time they faced each other, period, which was on clay. I don't want to quite go my standard $100 unit on a bet I really have no personal insight into, but I was thinking about $50, and that feels just a little too low stakes for my blood. So let's go in between $75 to win $75 on Muguruza to advance. Yeah, I almost picked that one too. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it was. Uh, it was either that or Ohio <laughs> State coin flip, which yeah. to go with. Yeah, yep. uh, and that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest Ron Jaworski. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, you know, everybody loves a bad beat story, as long as it's not them. <laughs> and this one appeals to the, the superstition karma people, I think, as well. I know last week that I was reaching a merciful end to my 30-week golf pool with the 13 entrants uh, picking four golfers a week uh, and a limit of four 
choices per season, which makes it complicated. Now it comes down to a four-time champion of the pool and I, and the champ is the same guy I grew up with who terrorized our home course with, I think, nine club championships in our youth. Uh, he had to give three or four strokes for a club pro, who, by the way, has two sons in this very same pool. Uh, I saw him shoot a 269 from the tips at Bethpage Black Course in Long Island decades before pro golf started holding majors there. And he is about as ruthless in this pool as he was on the golf course. But this year, I mean, he steals a win off an eight-hole playoff. He steals a win off a six-man playoff. Uh, so many rabbit tricks. <laughs> Me, I, I lose $1.7 million when John, John Rahm, up six shots with 18 holes to go at the Memorial, gets a COVID-positive test, so I get zero dollars. But my motto was win anyway. And in the final week, 30, last weekend, I was the only one in the pool who had a shot to take him down. But I did need a winner. I'd already laid some ground in our pool messages where I noted that my rival was talking all sorts of trash. And uh, all I said to the Ram debacle was, hey, that's life. Sometimes you just have to take it like a man. I said, <laughs> I suggest that perhaps the golf gods would punish my rival for his impudence even. So my boy Bryson DeChambeau has a five shot lead on the back nine of round three and yada, yada, yada. He leads by one shot with two holes to go on Sunday. This is for all the Tostitos in our pool. Par 317th, Bryson just off the green. Patrick Cantley dumps one in a penalty hazard. I'm oh so close. Then I break ranks with my theme and I text my brother, who's also in the golf pool, but he's down the Jersey Shore. Not over yet, but dot, dot, dot. <laughs> And I sent a photo of the menu at my local watering hole, as they know from my title two years ago, that if I win, I buy them both dinner with a portion of the winnings. And I suggested that this gives an advanced uh, uh, look at what uh, kind of choices they might make. The gods, it seems, were not amused. Yada, 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 bogey, bogey somehow. And I'm only up one shot with one hole to go. Still, Caitlin needs to make a 21-footer to force a playoff. Of course he does, and I see where this one's going at this point. Uh, one missed winner by uh, Bison, as I call him, after another. And the sixth playoff hole, the Matador arrives to deliver my final fatal blow. Biggest, baddest beat of my career. But after all those months, I tripled my money, partly because, yes, I did make a Cantley hedge <laughs> before the final <laughs> round. Uh, you know, still, I'd give all the money away to have beaten my lifelong buddy, and not only was it an honor to even battle him to the wire, but both of us know that his winning margin, uh, we both won around 35, 36 million in 30 weeks, uh, was not even half the raw money that got picked out of my pocket. This is the equivalent of me having a lead on him in the 14th hole. And I hit my drive down the middle of the fairway, but a fox picks it up, picks the ball up and scurries sideways and deposits out of bounds. Then there's a two-stroke penalty and distance for me. Then my putt lips out of the final hole and he wins by one shot. I mean, it's like the stellar poker strategy in a big spot, right? The other guy lands a second pair out of nowhere on the final card. You know, I think there's something to be said for having made the best choices. Now, I'm awaiting the victory speech from our champ uh, via email. Does he mention that elephant in the room uh, spelled R-A-H-M? It would be so sportsmanlike of him to do so. And it's his golf after all. But he's a fierce competitor and there's no claim of foul play. I mean, he won fair and square. You know, he did. Uh, <laughs> But um, I haven't decided which way I wanted to go, but I, I do know that my visceral impulses have been honed now, and I want this pound of flesh next year more than ever. So with that bloodthirsty observation, until next time, gamble on, everybody. Gamble on, everybody.